Hello, my name is Carson Garris, and you are currently tuned in to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. The obvious, I haven't been doing this lately. Like I said, though, I'm a student first, podcaster second. School has just gotten started about three weeks ago, about the span of which I haven't put out an episode. Need to take care of school first, and I can't let that fall to the wayside. Not become a priority right off the bat. You can't fall behind. Can't have a good year school if you don't start out the first three weeks strong. So here I am back. The sack is back, baby. And here we are. Episode 32. And the, obviously the biggest reason I'm back. Super Bowl. This Sunday. Three days if you're going to count today. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to count today. I'm going to give you a full analysis, breakdown, everything you need to know about this Super Bowl, then we are going to talk a little NBA, some all-stars, some drama, some typical NBA stuff, it seems like, then we're going to continue with the Sacks shaft, who's moving up, who's moving down, all of that for college basketball, because we are nearing the tournament, and it is going to get nitty and gritty coming down the stretch here in February and then into March. So let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen, and for the last time this NFL football season, we're going to be breaking down some games, we're going to be breaking down the game, and I felt it was only right for me to hit this track, hit that ish for y'all, so enjoy. So now we're here, Super Bowl. We got the Eagles against the Patriots, the Eagles and Nick Foles surprising everyone. And then we have the Patriots, the the Empire, the the evil empire, just the team that nobody really wants to see here except for the douchebag Patriots fans. And can you blame them why they're douches? All they do is win. People hate greatness, and that's just what the Patriots are. Now, let's look at the road to the Super Bowl for each of these teams. First up, the Falcons in the divisional playoff round went to the Eagles, and Eagles home underdogs, Nick Foles, his first NFL playoff start. How were they going to respond? Would they be able to do it? In a very hard-fought win, the Eagles pull it out 15 to 10. Nick Foles in this one, very game manager esque, 23 of 30, 246 yards. Their defense is what really won them the game. They shut down Julio Jones. They shut down Matt Ryan. They shut down the two headed monster in Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. Also, hats off to the Falcons defense in this one because they played a great game. Normally, if you're only giving up 15 points in the NFL, you're getting a W, but just not this week. Wasn't doing it. And the Eagles show that, hey, they got some fight to them. We should have known that all year, especially after the Carson Wentz injury, but they're showing it right now in the playoffs when it matters most. That same day, we had the Titans go to the Patriots, where the Patriots won 35-14. This game and the score doesn't indicate really how close it was. For the first half, it really was a good game. Marcus Mariota had a good day through the air. He had 254 yards and two touchdowns. 
And then Eric Decker, receiving-wise, they finally get some production out of him for why they brought him to Tennessee. Six catches, 85 yards. On the other side of the field, we had Tom Brady going for 337 yards. That was on 53 attempts, though, so keep that in mind. Three touchdowns. And then Danny Madola, who has really become the unsung go-to guy for the Patriots this playoff with the absence of Julian Edelman, he had 11 receptions for 112 yards. So big game out of him, and his role has only expanded as the playoffs have continued. So that is the divisional round for both of these teams. Then we move on to championship weekend where the Jaguars went to the Patriots in a fantastic game. You love to see it. Blake Bortles, the question is he legit? Can you build a team around him? 293 yards and a touchdown. Literally the most okay stat line I think you could have. One where you don't solve any problems. One where you don't create any more problems. You don't get answers, but you don't get any more questions about him either. Is Blake Bortles going to be there next year? I think he should be. I think you give him one more year, and then you look. If he doesn't do great, you draft somebody. You don't bring somebody else in off the street. You draft somebody that you feel is good. There are quarterbacks to be had in this draft. If you really want Lamar Jackson Jaguars, I think he'd be a great fit down there. You look at him. Because I don't think he's going to go in the top 20 picks. So you could be there looking at Lamar Jackson. Just keep, just keep an open opinion on it. That's all I'm saying. Leonard Fournette, 76 yards and a touchdown in this game. Like, let's go to the other side of the field in Foxborough. Tom Brady, 38 attempts. So 53 to 38. Just keep this in mind. 290 yards and two touchdowns. And then Brandon Cooks, six receptions and 100 yards. New England's defense stepped up when it needed to, and that seems to be the story for them all the time. Um, New England's defense, never one of the elites, but always develops that bend-don't-break mentality, and they just never seem to really break. So the Patriots win that one 24-20. Then in the NFC Championship game, the Vikings came to town, and the Vikings were coming off that huge emotional high of beating the Saints. Stephon Diggs, it was in Minnesota, catches the last second touchdown. Everyone was on the Vikings bandwagon. Everyone. I was, you were, your dad was, your sister was, your mom were, everybody was. So, Obviously, what do the Eagles do? They come out, and they win 38-7, to and they dominated this. The Vikings come down, and they march down the field and score first. Okay, that's fine. Good statement for them. You're in Philadelphia. You need to take the crowd out of it as soon as possible. But nope, it's not what happened after that first drive. Case Keenum, after that first drive, in the game, 271 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. The Eagles defensive line and front seven were getting after him all game. On the other side for the quarterbacks, Nick Foles, 352 yards and three touchdowns. Then going down, 18 carries and 73 yards for Jay Ajayi, and then eight receptions and 93 yards to lead the team in receiving yards for Zach Ertz. I think this is the game that you need to point to for why the Eagles have a chance. Their defense showed up in a huge moment. Granted, Case Keenum nowhere near as good as Tom Brady. I get that. But the pressure they applied to Case Keenum, if they can apply that same pressure to Tom Brady, and we have seen Tom Brady in the past struggle with that, 
problems. And then Nick Foles shows, hey, I'm not a slouch either. I did start, and I did have, like, I think 19 or 20-something. 19 to 29. I know that's a big gap, but he had that one year and zero interceptions that same year. He's not terrible. He isn't. And I think a lot of people forgot about that. I had to be reminded, and this is the game to do it. So that moves us to Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl 52. This is my professional opinion, professional analysis. Obviously, the Eagles are going to need to get after Tom Brady. We've seen that in the past in the Super Bowls against the Giants. He struggles with that. We've seen that against playoff games in the AFC against the Ravens. He struggles with that. The Eagles with Fletcher Cox and Long, they have Long Cox. Long and Cox are going to be after the quarterback all day if the Eagles are going to have a chance in this one. What could be a little irony, the Garrett Blunt was on the Patriots. He could come come and ruin the Super Bowl for them. He's got 766 yards but only two touchdowns on the year. That's not a lot, obviously, but in a right game plan to complement Nick Foles and the run-pass option, which 88% completion percentage on those plays of run-pass options. So expect a lot of those, I feel like. Another guy that is key for the Eagles to have a chance, Zach Ertz. He's been there for forever. Obviously, Nick Foles has a very good repertoire with him, a great rapport with him. So look for him to be an influence on how this game goes. I mean, he's got eight touchdowns on the year. He always seems to be there in the big moments when you need a big play if you're an Eagles fan, so he's there. And then I get Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback for this team for however many games it was. Then the injury, but this team's 13-3, and three, and yeah, Carson Wentz did a couple games just go out there and say, hey, I'm going to win this one, but this this team, this defense, this receiving core, this running game, they contribute to that, and Nick Foles isn't a terrible quarterback. I don't think he's as good as Carson Wentz. I get that, but he is not bad. He's good enough to win games. It shows. Is he good enough to win a Super Bowl? I don't know right now. I'm still trying to convince myself one way or the other. I just, yeah, you're right. You heard me. I didn't. I haven't made my pick yet. Then on the other side, New England, 13-3 and as well. And a bit of a rocky start. Everyone was say, sell the Patriots. Tom Brady's washed up. How can you even say that? Every year, it's the uh, every past two years, it's been the same narrative. I mean, the Chiefs beat them. Last two years, and then, oh, Tom Brady's washed up. Get rid of him. He's not playing until he's 43, 44, whatever he wants to play. It's not him. Okay, Tom Brady is more than likely going to win the MVP this year. He's got 4,577 yards and 32 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. Deion Lewis, 896 yards on the ground, six touchdowns. And then Gronk, he's got eight touchdowns on the year, just like Zach Ertz. Gronk is thought to be the best tight end in the league. And he is because he's got such matchup problems. Or or does he? This is where I think the whole game 
could be decided. Yes, the front seven for the Eagles against the front, the front line for the Patriots going to be big. I hope the Eagles are doing this or taking this advice. If not, I think it could be a long day for the Eagles. Secondary, dealing with Rob Gronkowski. Malcolm Jenkins, put him wherever Rob Gronkowski goes. Have him shadow him, have him cover him. Every time Gronk is in the game, put Malcolm Jenkins on him. Unless it's a zone, okay, put Malcolm Jenkins in the zone you think Gronk is going to go to. Malcolm Jenkins is fast enough. He's faster than Gronk, I can tell you that. And he is built enough to handle Rob Gronkowski's physicality. I'm telling you. Eagles fans, Eagles staff, if you're listening, Eagles staff, put Malcolm Jenkins on him. Eagles fans, hope they put Malcolm Jenkins on Gronk because that is going to be a necessity, a key that could help y'all win the game because Malcolm Jenkins is good enough, fast enough, strong enough to stop Gronk. Now, another thing that needs to be mentioned and talked about is a thing that I've noticed throughout these playoffs is coaches and teams taking advantage of match of just good matchups that they have. So before I get into anything like that of the matchups, I just want to tip a cap and say that is a huge congratulations is needed and just makes me appreciate more that the work these coaches do, not just the head coach, but offensive coordinator, the receivers coach, the running back coach, the D-line coach, the linebackers coach, the tight ends coach, all the coaches that in the year, yes, they are doing the same thing. They're trying to find matchups that work for them from game to game. But now that since it's on a bigger stage and now that everybody has an opportunity to watch and everything like that, it is so much more noticeable to find all the little wrinkles that these guys find and how they exploit things that help their teams win. So I, it's a huge thing that I have just recently gotten more appreciation for. So I just want to thank all the coaches for, hey, for good football, because that's what we need right now is good football. Now, some players on the Patriots side that could just have a breakout game because that's what happens. There's a player or two always under the radar for the Patriots that just come out and have a great game, have big plays in big games. And here are my ideas for who that's going to happen with. I think Rex Burkhead. He could be a guy. He only had a carry for five yards in the AFC Championship game. Maybe they ride the hot hand. Maybe he gets hot. Maybe they're going to try and run the ball right down their throats. And I don't think Deion Lewis and James White are going to be able to have a workload that does that. Deion Lewis out of the backfield, though, as we saw against the Falcons last year and as we have seen all too well these last two years, he's a threat out of the backfield to have some catches. He had seven in the AFC Championship game. And then what I think really could be a matchup is Chris Hogan. If we move him around, we, as if I'm a Patriots fan, excuse me. If the Patriots move him around and get him into some okay matchups, if we put him in the slot, I think he can exploit the linebackers, exploit guys that line up against him, and he's big enough where he can go up and get a ball if he has to. I think Chris Hogan could be could be a very influential 
player in this game. I definitely think he has at least a touchdown. You can quote me on that. If there's a bet, Chris Hogan total touchdown at half, over under a half, take the over. He's getting at least one. I can guarantee you that. Everybody's going to point to Danny Amendola, though, to have a big game, and I really think he could just because Tom Brady's going to need to get the ball out quick. I definitely think there are going to be pressure on him the entire game. Brennan Cooks, he's more of a deep threat, so I don't expect him to get as many looks as he should this game, just because I don't think Brady's going to have enough time. But Amendola, filling in for Julian Edelman all year, he's going to be getting those looks across the middle, the quick screens, things like that, that can help the Patriots win this game. So I guess it's time for a pick, right? Oh, boy. Patriots are four-point favorites. I would take the Eagles in that. I think it's going to be a close game. Everybody apparently does. I just can't go against Tom Brady, especially with Josh McDaniels leaving and Matt Patricia leaving and Belichick and that whole issue that they had, really, with the whole TB12 training program and the apparently the rift that caused in the organization between Kraft and Brady and Belichick. I think Belichick sends... Patricia and Josh McDaniels out on a win in a Super Bowl. I think Tom Brady has a good game. I think Belichick gets his ring, gets another one. Brady gets another one. The dynasty continues. I think the Eagles would win this game if Carson Wentz was there. I really want the Eagles, though. And I'm not trying to cover all my bases here and be like, oh, I told you all I really wanted the Eagles to win. I do. I really, really do. But the Eagles, I just don't think it's the Patriots. I think I can't even really explain why. They just have composure. They just go out there, execute the game plan, and the game plan is always just better than the other teams, so they win. This team is they plan to win and they win because of the plan. That's all I can say. I want a close game. I want the Eagles to win. I just don't think that it's going to happen. I think Nick Foles might make a few mistakes, and then maybe he won't. Maybe he will come and set the world on fire. Seven touchdowns, 500 yards. I could only hope for that because I really don't want the Patriots to win another one, but sometimes in life you're just faced with an inevitability. And I think that's what we're faced with here as anybody else that does not like the Patriots. I think Belichick and Brady ride off in the sunset with another Super Bowl win. And that's that for the NFL season. I'll talk about the game next week. I'm going to have one next week. I don't know how long that sack is going to be, but I will talk about the Super Bowl after next week and give you that. But in this game, I'm going to take the Patriots over the Eagles. And the score... Ah. <sighs> Let's go 35-30, Patriots. Well, I told you the Eagles would cover, so we're going to go 35-31. My apologies on that. So, that brings the NFL season to a hard, hard close. It's hard to close the book. It's hard. Don't worry, though. It's just another chapter in the book. But another thing that I just want to touch on, the XFL is coming back in 2020, and I think this year, 
When it comes back, it's going to be a success. I don't even know why. The problem with the last XFL was the lack of quality of play. And where are they going to find players? Because all the good ones are going to be in the NFL. Johnny Manziel wants to come back. They're pretty up against taking knees at the National Anthem. So that kind of rules out Colin Kaepernick for the XFL. It's just going to be really weird and hard, I feel like, to find players that are going to make game. They'll get players that will be interesting to talk about. I don't have an issue with that, and I don't think that'll be an issue for them, but I think they're going to have a hard time finding players that will make the games interesting to talk about. So, just wanted to touch on that. That's going to be a little interesting, but now we move on to college basketball and the sacks shaft. Here we go. If you are new to the program, the sack shaft is where we look at college basketball as a whole, talk about teams and players that are moving up the shaft, doing well, and teams that are moving down the shaft, doing a little shitty. The first team that I have to mention is the Virginia Cavaliers. They have played exceptionally well these last two weeks, three weeks that have been gone, but the past two weeks have been really big for them. So... Saturday, January 6th, they annihilate North Carolina 61-49 at Virginia. Then Syracuse comes to town. They have a little bit of trouble with them, but they win by 7. Then North Carolina State comes to town. They beat them by 17 points, and North Carolina State is no team to scoff at. But what I really want to look at is their stretch of their last three games that they've had to play all within a week of each other. So, on the 23rd, they welcomed Clemson to town, and they beat them 61-36. to They held Clemson to 13 points and a half. You just don't see that anymore. Then, that Saturday, the 27th, four days later, we have a huge matchup. Virginia goes to Cameron Indoor Stadium to face Duke, where they pull out a very hard-fought, very great game. Pull out the win, 65-63. Really, just an outstanding game. Obviously, if you want to go see it, cool. If not, I don't re don't expect you to go out of your way to find it. But they Virginia survived a 30-point game from Marvin, Marvin Bagley. It's hard to do that and win, but they did. So hats off to Virginia and that. And then... The next week, the 31st, Louisville came down, and Louisville is not a team to take lightly. I understand with Patino coming off all that and Pageant as their coach, they seem very easy. They seem like a, this team is talented, and Louisville has struggled with Virginia in the past. They have only won once, I think, in the last five or six meetings. Not very good. 
Louisville gives them a better game than expected, and Louisville, like I said, nothing to just discredit. They're a good team. It was a good win. Virginia wins this one, 74-64, so they are the first team that is moving up the shaft. The next team that is moving up the shaft, but I think is going to be moving down the shaft here pretty soon, is Auburn. They have been a surprise all year. They are sitting at 19-2 and on the year, so... Hats off to them, but I just don't think they've played enough big games. They welcome Vanderbilt to town this on the 3rd, so that's tomorrow. I don't think that's anything crazy. Then four days later, they bring in Texas A&M to Auburn. I think that's a loss for Auburn. Then Auburn goes to Georgia, I think. That could be a trap game because then four days later, they welcome the 21st-ranked Kentucky Wildcats, which we will talk about in a little bit. I think that's a loss. Then the Alabama comes to Auburn. I think that could be a potential loss. I think it is a potential loss. I think Alabama is going to come on hot these last couple weeks of the season. Then Auburn goes to Florida. I think that's a loss. And then Auburn goes to Arkansas. And I don't think that's a loss, but I think that's a very tough game. Right now, Auburn, you're up the shaft. You really are. But you are teetering very close to being going down the shaft. Now, just some other teams to look at really quick that are moving up the shaft. Purdue, third in the country. They won 19 straight, sitting at 21-2 and on the year. Fantas- they got a guy named Carson Edwards and another guy last name Edwards. They are fantastic. Look out for them. I have a big matchup with Ohio State on February 7th. Speaking of Ohio State, they found themselves at 13 in the nation last week. I think that's a little too high for them. That's too much. They lose to Penn State on a last-second buzzer beater in Columbus. Lose them down to 17th. I like that range. They are 18-5. and five. Uh, Kate's Diop is playing incredible for them. Played his way into definitely Big Ten Player of the Year, maybe National Big Ten Player of the Year. Another team you got to look out for, sitting at 21 and 2, are the Gales from St. Mary's. I'm a fan of the Gales. Been a fan of the Gales since Della Vadova was there. Check it, I had some gear. I had a sweatshirt. I had a shirt. I'll pull them out sometime if you ever want to question the fanhood. They just beat Gonzaga at Gonzaga a couple weeks ago, which is what propelled them up into the rankings. But sitting right behind them is Gonzaga. Now, the last team that is going up the shaft is Kentucky. They come back from 17 down in Morgantown at West Virginia for a huge win. Okay. Obviously, you're going to get some respect, get some recognition. So they move out of the top 25 back into it after that win, and then they come back against Vanderbilt that shouldn't have been this close, especially in Rupp, but it was. Back-to-back comeback wins for the Cats. This one, though, against Vanderbilt in overtime, but they did the damn thing. They really did. So Kentucky is riding high on momentum. They have a couple difficult games coming up starting tomorrow, the third against Missouri at Missouri, and then Three days later, they welcome Tennessee to Rupp. These next two games, this stretch, down the stretch for Kentucky is ridiculous. It is hard. It is long. It's refrain from the sexual jokes. That's what she said. But it's very, very difficult, and I can't wait to see how the young cats are going to handle it. So those are the teams and players. 
that are moving up and down the shaft. We talked about the up now. Let's talk about some teams going down the shaft. In the last couple weeks, North Carolina has been moving down the shaft. It all started against North Carolina State. Oh, excuse me. No, no, no. It started five days earlier than that. It started January 22nd when Virginia Tech beat them by 11. Then North Carolina State went into Chapel Hill in overtime and wins by four. And then Clemson beats them by four. Granted, the game was at Clemson. But then before that, Virginia beat them. I think that really changed their whole mindset. They survived a game against Notre Dame, 69-68. North Carolina is going to make the tournament. They'll be a good team, but right now they're just moving down the shaft a little too much for my liking. Hey, guys. Girls, you remember when Arizona State was ranked third in the country after they beat Kansas and nobody really else, and then they lost a couple games and they're now at 25th? Because I do, because that's what's happening right now. If we look at it, I think Arizona State never should have been ranked third. I don't think they are that good. Their guard play is ridiculous, which come March is going to help them a ton. Because in March, a player can get hot, and it's all about guard play, really, but Let's just go back to Thursday, January 11th. Oregon beats them when they were ranked. Then, hard-fought game against Oregon State, but Arizona State ends up winning it. Shouldn't have been that close. Stanford beats Arizona State 86-77. Then, on the 25th, Thursday, January 25th, Utah beats them 80-77. That shouldn't happen. And then Washington on Thursday, February 1st, yesterday, it happened. Washington beats Arizona State 68-64. This team is going to come screeching down the Pac-12 schedule to finish up. They got a tough they have tough games. They got Arizona, they got to go to Oregon and then they go they welcome UCLA and USC to Arizona State and that fan interaction involvement at Arizona State is Lacking, it is god awful. I have a friend that goes there. He says it is terrible. They don't go to games. Sports squad forkum, ladies and gentlemen. So that is my second team that is moving down the shaft, Arizona State. And then the last team that is sliding down the sack shaft is the Wichita State Shockers. It is shockingly to me how bad they have been. Wednesday, January 17th, they lose to SMU. Then, the 20th, three days later, they lose to Houston. Then, they get a big win against UCF, let me tell you. But, last night, the 1st of February, is what really pisses me off the most. Temple is terrible. Temple is not good. They're 12-10 and 10 on the year. And what does Wichita State do? They go to them, go to Temple, and they lose by two points in overtime. Greg Marshall needs to get these guys' heads out of their asses. He needs to get them playing shocker basketball, get them playing like he had for Van Vliet, Ron Baker. Are they still? Do they have a year of eligibility left? Because if so, for the love of God, please bring them back. But those are my teams that are sliding down the shaft. Now, I told you all that is that. We will talk about some NBA. First things first, there was a big trade that happened between the Pistons and the Clippers that sends Blake Griffin to the Pistons, and then you send a couple of role players, Thabo, not Thabo, Cecilosha, um, a couple other players, though, that the Pistons send, 
and a first-round pick that everybody is just so hyped up about in Los Angeles. Let me tell you, it's not protected. So whatever. Everyone themes seems to think, everyone that I've talked to seems to think, that the Pistons lost this trade. Oh, the Clippers are restarting. They're hitting the reset button. And I'll tell you, this pick is really what's going to do it for them. They got DeAndre Jordan there and Austin Rivers and Boy and Lou Williams and this real spunky cast of players that is just going to do great once we hit that reset button. Fuck no. How can you say when Blake Griffin goes to a team that that team doesn't win the trade? I mean, obviously, yes, there are some situations and scenarios where that's not true. LeBron for Blake Griffin. Obviously not. Whatever. Blake Griffin is one of the best passing big men in the game. It showed. In his first game there, he had 25 points for the Pistons, 10 rebounds and 5 assists. He was lobbing it to Andre Drummond, who is also another great passing big man. He is leading the Eastern Conference in games this season of 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 or more assists. That's Andre Drummond. You have two of the best passing big men in the game. Yes, do they lack in other areas? They do. They really do. Reggie Jackson's their point guard. He was good in Oklahoma City when he was a backup. Now, I honestly can't take... Luke Kennard, he's on the team. Kyle Singler, he's on the team. It's Duke North. Just Duke North? Northwest? Where would you put Detroit? I mean, it's not really Northwest. That's I think that's more like Oregon, California, stuff like that. Duke North Middle. North Middle is what the Pistons are becoming, but... That is one of the bigger news stories that has happened recently in the NBA. Then, we got to look at the MVP talk. James Harden just came off of a triple-double with 60 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. And that was out Chris Paul there. James Harden's the MVP. I really think he is because you just look at his numbers and then look at what he does game in and game out. He is so consistent. He is one of the more consistent players to me. LeBron, there are games when he just isn't there. And that's okay because it's hard for him to be there all the time because of all the minutes he plays, everything like that. I'm not saying he sits out games, anything like that. No, I'm saying just there's games that I think he takes his foot off the pedal a little bit. And then you got to look at Steph Curry, look at Kevin Durant. I don't think anybody on the Warriors should win a MVP just because of how many MVP candidates they have. Russ Westbrook, you can look at him. He, game in and game out, is he's there. He's pedal to the metal, but I think this year it's James Harden's year, and I think they're definitely going to give it to him if he continues his play like he has been. Then we look at the dumpster fire. That is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin Love breaks his hand. He's avoiding surgery, though. He'll miss eight weeks. That's fine. There was a players-only meeting a couple weeks ago, and that news got out, and there were leaks to that. Adrian Wojnarowski reported it. What everybody was wondering and was pretty easy to solve was who leaked it. What player did it? What was there? Two players come over from the Celtics because last year there were no leaks, anything coming out of the Cavs locker room. Two players, Crowder and Isaiah Thomas, come over from the Celtics. Crowder, great guy, doesn't talk to the media that much, really doesn't. Isaiah Thomas, great guy, but he literally had a documentary about him 
where you see him on the phone talking to Wojnowski, literally giving him scoops and things like that. It was him. He leaked that information. It sucks. I want Isaiah Thomas to succeed. I think he was, I know he was the last pick in the NBA draft when he came out. I liked him ever since he was on the Kings. He's a fantastic player. He really is, but is it going to work out in Cleveland? Right now, it's not. It really isn't. I think it comes along, obviously, and it's hard not to think that the Cavaliers come playoff time, turn it on, and win. It's hard not to because that's what they've done the past three years. Come the past three, four years. They struggle in the regular season, and playoff time, they come in, they wreck shit up, and they get to the finals. Is it going to happen this year? I don't think there's been a team as difficult. Maybe the Pacers, when Miami and LeBron were down there, the Pacers posed a big threat. I don't think there's a team in the East that LeBron has faced that pose as much as a threat as these Celtics do. And the Raptors this year are playing really well, too. DeMar DeRozan is playing the best season he has so far in his life. Kyle Lowry is coming along well as well. I just think, in the end, I do think the Cavs make the finals. I just do. It's... It's hard for me not to just because of LeBron, but I think this year is the year they are going to get tested the most. they got to figure out Isaiah Thomas and how he is going to fit in the offense. And then some people are questioning Kevin Love's toughness. I really wish we could just get a full-out endorsement of Kevin Love from LeBron because then he is a made man. I think that will take so much pressure off his shoulders because it seems like Kevin Love is a child fighting for his father's affection and approval from LeBron James and it's just so hard for him to get it no matter how many threes he makes no matter how much he clamps up Steph Curry on defense in the final possession of the finals no matter how many rebounds he gets or how many high fives he just says oh he'll get me next time because LeBron won't recognize it he just that's all I want is Kevin Love to to be loved by LeBron James. Is that too much to ask for? Speaking of the Celtics, sources in, 2.08 p.m. The Celtics just signed Greg Monroe to a $5 million deal. No, this Greg Monroe is not as good as he previously was, but he is good enough to add another level of depth to him. He has averaged 11 points and 8 rebounds in 23 minutes a game with the Suns, so he is a nice little addition to their front court with Al Hortford with the Morris Twins. And then they have this really big, weird white guy. I don't know. He that shaves the side of his head and has, like, long hair on top. It's not a mohawk because he puts it in a ponytail. I don't know. But big news for them and the Celtics. They just keep plugging along, and then Hayward, Gord Hayward, could be back. He was shown shooting around. Granted, he's not jumping when he shoots. And I think, personally, don't. Don't do that. Don't shoot. Honestly, don't, because if you start shooting and you're not jumping, you're going to get power out of your arms, and that's going to affect your shot. I really think it does. And then you have to retool your shot process, everything like that. Just don't shoot. Just don't. Get the feeling, shake off the rust when you can jump. You can shoot jumpers. That's that. So, that is the NBA talk. That is the shaft up and down. That is the NFL talk as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I will be back next weekend 
next week for the sack. This was the 32nd edition, if you did not know. Number 33 will be next week. As always, like, share, rate, subscribe, everything on iTunes. Or if you want to listen on SoundCloud, go right ahead. I don't care. Just listen to it. Then please retweet the tweet that I'm going to send you all the link to. And just please keep supporting Carson Sack Podcast because we really do appreciate it here. We, as if I have a production team. Yeah, I got a production team over in the back right corner of my room. Yeah, I record this in my room on my Mac. It's on my dresser. And I don't have a production team. I really don't. I have me. And like I continue to say, this is the best college student podcast in the nation. And I really do believe that. And I really am. Every segment I do... Every line I do, every show I do, I'm trying to prove that to you. Episode in and episode out is what I'm trying to do. And hopefully, with your continued support, this will not only become the best college-run podcast, but maybe one day it'll become the best sports podcast run. That's asking for a lot. I'm sorry. But thank you for the continued support. Share this. Get this in as many people's ears as you can. Thank you so much for listening to the 32nd edition of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as always, as we close it out here on the sack, we will be seeing ya.